Fast fashion is one of those things that we all know is bad. I don't think there's anyone out here that would tell you that fast fashion is a good thing. We started looking into the industry in a bit more detail. You look at some of the stats that come out and you realise quickly how bad fast fashion has got. We're now at a point where six in 10 items of clothing that are made end up in landfill within a year. They also estimate by 2050, 25% of the world's carbon emissions will be taken up by the fashion industry. So that's second only to oil. It's monumental. If you can think of like all the other industries there are construction, shipping, Fashion beats all of them from a carbon emissions perspective. We're in this really dire state of the world and fashion's a big driver of that. Thank you so much for clicking on this episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. The ambition of the podcast is to show relatable stories from young entrepreneurs doing some incredible things to inspire the next generation, including you listening wherever you are. We've been doing this podcast for over three years and the ambition has not changed. The only thing that has changed is the scale of where we want to go. We want to bring on bigger guests for you guys to show more and more relatable stories from young entrepreneurs across the world. The majority of you guys watching or listening haven't subscribed to the podcast yet. All you have to do is click that subscribe button wherever you're listening, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, wherever. And that will allow us to bring on bigger guests and ask the questions that you really want to hear. And it really is that simple. My name is Sina Sadzadeh. Thank you so much for clicking on the podcast and enjoy the episode. Sam, how are you? Very good. How are you? Yeah, very, very well, thanks. It's been a while since I wanted to come on the podcast. I and know. It's finally happening. We found a time. Yeah, I know. So how have you been? Yeah, really well, thank you. Busy, as always. Hence why it's taken so long to, to get on here and, and uh, speak to you and, and tell you a bit more about what I'm doing. But yeah, life's good. Can't complain. Mm. I'm uh, in between houses at the moment, which is quite annoying. <laughs> Renting in London's not the one. But you enjoying having a clothing brand? Loving having a clothing brand. Loving running my own thing. So how does it start? So Batch London, clothing brand suits, uh, it's, it's only men's clothing, right? No, men and women. Oh, cool. Yeah, we make suits for girls and boys, uh, or men and women, I should say. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it, the whole journey started because I wanted a casual suit. And I'd been working in the drinks world for five years. So I finished uni, went straight into a, a drink start called Punchy, um, and joined as the third person in as the brand launched and got taken on a journey of how startups work, what goes into mm. them. I went from field sales through to sales and ops, through to head of ops. And that was sort of the, the bulk of my career was in the operations side of things. So I got a real insight into what goes into to a startup and all the things that go wrong and how you manage it and how you grow it and, and survive effectively. Mm. Um, and then there became a point in time, like I said, that I wanted a, a casual suit and I couldn't find one. Uh, and it was kind of a light bulb moment where I had the ability to take what I'd learned at Punchy and have some understanding of, okay, you've got an idea and that's great. And there's a market for it. How do you then go and access that and step into that market and, and make something out of it? So I took this idea to uh, a friend of mine, Julian, who's now my co-founder. We are great mates at, at Newcastle University. Um, and he had lots of skills that I didn't feel that I quite had and vice versa. And then we started looking into this idea of a, of a casual suit in more detail. Mm. Um, and we quite quickly realized that the timing was pretty spot on for, for sort of a, a variety of reasons. Um, mostly in the way that, that trends had changed, i.e. the way that we dressed to work had changed quite drastically and the way that we go to work had changed as well. So rather mm. than this in the office five days a week, which led to quite a formal outfit being worn. Post COVID things had casualized massively because we'd yeah. gone into this hybrid 
in and out of the office. And I think it's kind of going back the other way now where people are spending more time in the office. Mm. But the way that we dress has remained the same, i.e. that there's been this big casualization of the workplace. But we felt there was a, a need and a desire for people to want to look good and look the part, but also retain that comfort. Mm. Um, and then alongside that sort of work piece, you also had the social piece, i.e. that we'd got very comfortable being in tracksuits for two years, basically, at home. Yeah. And then pubs and bars and restaurants open up again. Uh, and it was the opportunity to, you know, go and show off a bit and dress up smartly. But again, you still want to retain that comfort. So mm. we think we found like a, a, a nice little gap and a niche in the market yeah. uh, and, a, and a good opportunity to go and be the leaders in that space. I absolutely love suits and like they're a very classic thing for, well, for me, like for men, but obviously like women wear them as well. And I love wearing them, but I always feel, feel there's like not really a place to wear them because I just feel like they're way too formal, which is why like a brand such as what you guys are doing makes a ton of sense mm. for like the next generation of like suit wearers. Um, suits, suits are a really interesting thing. There's always going to be a place for the yeah, traditional suit in society. For sure. But it's become a bit of an outdated formality in the sense that the number of occasions that you can wear it to are diminishing like almost to the point that we don't really wear them at weddings anymore. Like mm. that, the way that we dress for weddings has changed as well. Um, so the landscape's like moved and, and we've gone into this, this slightly uh, different environment where that, that desire, or taking it back a step, the reason, part of the reason people love wearing suits because it makes you feel elevated, it makes you feel sharp, but you can still do that and not lose out on the things that you don't get with a suit, which is restrictive, it's uncomfortable, you get to the end of the day and you can't wait to take it off. Mm. We wanted to create the opposite of that, that still gave you that, that feeling of being elevated and confident. And So you had this idea while you were at the drinks brand, and I guess like, what was the step for you to, to go from that to doing this sort of, putting more energy and time into it? Yeah, so I, I did both for about a year. Um, which was pretty hard graft, as mm. you can imagine. Uh, and I was very lucky that um, Punchy were, were pretty lenient with me and were willing and able to, to sort of let me work the hours that I wanted to, as long as I got the job done. So I was yeah. ending up working like 14 to 16 hour days for the best part of a year, um, which was pretty hardcore, but I'm very glad I did it that way because it allowed me to still have some money coming into the bank whilst putting energy into this new potential project yeah and seeing how far i could take that and whether that had any legs and and it could work uh and then in sort of january of this year there was a it was the right moment we just raised a really small amount of money um from two angels and it was the right time to uh, well actually and at the same time we just got our first shop as well so it's the right time to go full time and, and make something out of it. So, so you use that funding to basically get the shop? Use that funding to get the shop mm. and for loads of things. Like it's amazing how far you can make money spread when you don't have very much of it and you've got lots to do. Yeah. It's <laughs> like if you, that, I think that was like a piece of advice that I would give to other people in a similar position is like, just ask people for stuff and you'll find that more often than not you, you get what you want for free. It's like, just like, like a transition like of mindset. Like, so when we, when we moved into the shop, I had this huge space in Spitalfields Market, and we had no budget and we had no time. And 
so in total, it costs us about 50k to put the shop together, um, which is nothing really. So when we were speaking to designers and um, people that do fit outs for shop and told them what our budget was, and they like physically laughed us out the door. So we had to rethink it. Um, and I think when you've got, when you don't have very much money, you changes your mindset. So we were going to paint companies. Um, there was one called Yes Colors who very kindly agreed to give us paint for free. And in return, we said, look, we'll shout you out on our socials. We'll put up a vinyl on the wall so people know where the paint's from. Mm. However, if we'd gone into that same mindset with loads of money in the bank or a bit more, then you might've gone and been like, can we have a 10% discount on your paints and we'll do the same thing. When actually, if you, if you find the right people to work with that have the same sort of clientele that, that, or target market yeah. that you're going after, there's really nice synergies there and it allows lots of small brands to, to grow and develop off each other together. And now you're shouting them out here. Now we're shouting them out here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes a ton of sense. So um, I guess like going back to the ideation stage, so you had the idea of this like casual, more comfortable suit um i guess like did you do market research in terms of what was already out there like were people actually asking for something like this because i remember that whole stage within covid like everyone thought that everyone's going to just live in tracksuits forever yeah right <laughs> so like did you did you do any of that market research like see what, yeah, we see did. what was out there yeah we did we did so we obviously the first thing you do is like look for other brands that are doing the same thing i can there's one in america and one in amsterdam that were doing a similar thing and and I would say this, but I don't think either of them were doing it very well. Mm. So again, you, that, there's a big, bigger opportunity there. It's one of those things that you can't patent stuff in the fashion industry. Yeah. So you can't patent an, an item of clothing, which means that you have l lots and lots of styles that are all pretty similar. And so whilst we found that you could go and find a casual suit jacket or a chore jacket pretty easily, and you could find a nice pair of chinos pretty easily, there's no one that was doing both. Mm. So then we went into this sort of market research phase um, and did a questionnaire and, and uh, asked people a variety of questions, but trying to get a lean on whether there was a space for this and, and like were people actually asking for it. Um, and we got enough traction to say that, yeah, they are, there's, there's something here and that that's gonna continue to, to grow as time goes on. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were probably a bit naive and brash and just went for it, to be mm. honest. And, there's a bit of luck in these things. The thing, the thing with clothing, and it's, it's honestly, it puts me off going into the clothing industry so much, is that the startup costs are so high. Mm. That's the, and as well as like competition, we'll go on to that a bit later, but you have to have different sizes, you have to have different colors, like you don't actually know whether people will buy it or not, and there's just so many different variations. Like, you have to have so much money to go into it, no? Sort of, but that's exactly why the fashion industry is broken, and. and so the, the first part of the, of the story that I've just told you is this idea of a casual suit and that there's a space in the market for that. Yeah. The second part was after we started looking into the fashion industry. And it's, fast fashion is one of those things that we all know is bad. Like, I don't think there's anyone out here that would tell you that fast fashion is a, is a, is a good thing. So we started looking into the industry in a bit more detail. You look at some of the stats that come out and you realize quickly how bad fast fashion has got. So, I mean, we're now at a point where six and 10 items of clothing that are made end up in landfill within a year. They also estimate by 2050, 25% of the world's carbon emissions will be taken up by the fashion industry. So that's second only to oil. 
So it's like, it's monumental. If you can think of like all the other industries there are construction, mm. shipping, fashion beats all of them from a carbon emissions perspective. Uh, and it's mental. So That's pretty insane. It's crazy. It's crazy. So we're in this really dire state of, of the world and, and fashion's a big driver of that. Yeah. And part of the problem is exactly what you said uh, just earlier, that brands don't know what's going to work. So they go through all of these product development costs, They'll create a variety of styles, a variety of sizes, but ultimately they're guessing because you can do your market research, but fashion doesn't quite work as that. It's not, you can't be overly statistically driven mm. because it's subjective at the end of the day. Um, so they'll go and create loads and loads and loads of stuff. And if it doesn't sell, they'll discount it. If that doesn't sell, it goes straight to landfill. So you've got this huge issue. So we tried to work out how we could have an impact on that problem and what the biggest impact we could have was. And we dialed it down to the, the, this attempt to change the culture behind how we consume fashion and to give over this idea that good things come to people that wait, good things come to those that wait. Yeah. Patience is a virtue, slow fashion down a bit. Uh, and how that works for us is we make everything to order. So we only have to make a really finite number of garments as it, as it works at the moment, because we've got a shop, we have pretty much one in every size and color, but not quite. There's, there's some sizes that we know aren't gonna be massively popular, so we'll make less of them. Yeah. But we've got four different colors, um, men and women, and then a variety of sizes. But that's it, we don't have any other stock other than that. Uh, so you'll come in, you'll try on a suit, you'll try and find your color. We'll then take your order, collate those together, and then go and get it made. So the mm. idea is that you only make exactly what you need. Yeah. So back to your original question that takes away a lot of that startup cost because we're not having to create loads of stock and, and wait and see if it sells mm. we just do the bare minimum and then back to the fashion industry so you said broken is, is the word that you use and I guess like that makes yep. a ton of sense you 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 basically create what people are actually demanding so that there isn't that 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 waste because if, if it doesn't sell so I guess like do you see the fashion industry going more into that direction of, I guess, made to order instead of it's just there? I do massively. I think it has to go in that direction. I think it's not going to really be a choice because there are finite resources and there are already, we're already at a point where we can see the end of when that will run out. And don't get me wrong, there will always be innovation in to new materials. Yeah. Um, but at what, and so there's kind of a few things. We're going to get to this point People won't stop consuming. It's it's too ingrained in our culture. That's going to take a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. So people will have to start consuming better. And then on the flip side, people will have to start to look after their clothes better, reuse, recycle, repair, resell. And that's starting to happen massively. There's there's a huge resurgence in, um, you know, reselling of clothes particularly, mm -hmm. reusing rental markets. But for the people that do still consume, because that will that is going to be the the vast majority of the industry, mm. can we make things better? How do we make things better? We have to make things better before we run out of resources. Is that where the name Batch London came from? Yeah, I guess like you create them in batches. You create them in small batches. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. When it comes to actually, so you had the idea, you started the business, but I guess like when it actually came to creating the clothing, creating the designs, you don't come from a fashion background yourself, right? Like no. you, you, you come from a drinks background. So it's like, how was it? It must've been a completely new world to you. Massively. And I think that, that kind of works on your advantage in, in many ways. But 
I mean, both me and my co-founder have always had an interest in fashion. Yeah. Um, and we had a pretty clear idea in our heads of what we wanted to create here and how we wanted it to look. And then we brought in freelancers from various realms who knew much more about the fashion industry than we did. Um, and actually I've always, and still am shocked as to how broken apart the fashion industry is. So when you go to create a garment, you have an idea, you then will create a fashion design for that. Mm -hmm. So draw it on paper, let's say, there's a different person that does that. Then there's another person that cuts the patterns out yeah. So it creates the actual garment. Then there's another person that grades it, so it takes it from one size to multiple sizes. There's another person that then samples it, and then goes back through the cycle again, so you get to the perfect garment, and then there's someone else that manufactures it. And right. I've just never really been able to get my head around that, why each of those sections is broken apart to a different person, and why nobody wants to do all of them at once. Mm. It's kind of interesting, but I think I'm, it's because I've, it's I've so I've never thought about it. Like I've never thought about it like that, but it makes sense, I guess it's like, all those different things are different problems and different yeah yeah specialties no I guess yeah so what's the what's the issue with that like what comes like why is that an issue it's not really an issue just more of an observation it's the only reason it's an issue is because it's pretty inefficient so you've got to go through so many stages yeah. and each one costs and each one you have to explain between one person to the other so the issue is that you can end up with a bit of Chinese whispers and your, your original idea comes up very different to what you'd imagined it to, because everyone's had their little input along the, the chain. Mm. Um, that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes that's great because each person can improve it as you go along. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just inefficient. How did time. you know like who to turn to? Because it was a new industry, right? Like obviously you can, being a consumer of clothing and being a producer of clothing is a completely different thing. Like you can have an interest, but when it actually comes to producing it and designing it and all those different stages that you said, mm. who do you go to to find out all this information? <laughs> who do you go to to actually like get it done? Google. That's <laughs> such, a, such a stupid answer, but genuinely throughout the whole process of this business, we found all of our freelancers, production partners from Google and spent a lot of time looking into it and researching and, um, for us, we did it quite a lot uh, based on personality and like, did we like the people that we were talking to when we met them and the, you know, the fashion designers that we brought in and the pattern cutters and do we get along with them from a cultural perspective? And then, you know, what else have they done? Who else have they worked for? Do they have a similar sort of yeah. line of thinking as to what to, into what you're trying to create? Mm. And you, did you just work with people within UK and Europe or did you work like abroad? Like how did it So we work? designed everything in the UK. Mm -hmm. Then up until we sampled in the UK as well. Up until this point, we've been getting all of our um, suits manufactured in Portugal. So we had a great partner out there. We, we actually had two partners to begin with. So actually, sorry, rewind a sec. We've, we found a directory online for 700 different suit manufacturers in Portugal. Um, we then somehow managed to whittle it down to two. Um, went to visit both of them. One we really liked, the other one we really didn't like. So we went with the one we liked and they were an amazing partner. But um, quite exciting news, we've just moved manufacture back to the UK. Oh, And actually cool. to London. So Batch London's now designed and produced in London, which is really cool because there's not cool. many brands that can say that. No. 
I've, I've never met any brands that have said that actually yeah. apart from the ones like on Savile Row but like that's different yeah even they don't get their suits made in London oh really okay I didn't, them, I didn't know lots that lots of them send them out to Portugal so they'll do the sizing yeah and then cut the patterns and then they'll go and create them in Portugal and send them back that's really interesting in Italy but like for you guys like is it not a really significant cost to be able to do that it's a, it was actually less than we were expecting it to be yes it's an increase in cost but by the time you've gone through all the steps you've taken out the import so you always have to ship them back. There's fees involved in that as well. Yeah, customs. Until we get to really, really big volumes and we're producing lots in each batch, it's cheaper to do it. Well, it's not that much more expensive to do it in the UK. Mm. So that's why, yeah, but given that you're like smaller quantities, it makes sense because you're, you're creating batches, as you, as you said. Yeah. Um, so going to the competition side of things, we talked about the production operations, like challenges there. When it actually comes to the competition, this is another thing. The clothing clothing industry as a whole is so intense with competition. It's mm. it's got people from all different angles, it's got, you know, from different price points, different services, like there's so much in the clothing industry. Because I guess the barrier to entry for a very low quality product is fairly low, right? You can get it from China, you can get it from like, you know, Thailand, whatever. Um did that not put you off going into the clothing industry, how intense the competition was? Not really, because I think we had the opportunity to do it very differently and shake it up a bit. Mm. And that was a big passion of ours to, to you know, change the way that, change our culture around consumption and, and do things differently. But you're right, it's a massively, massively competitive industry. And the, and the barriers to entry are really low. Um, particularly as, you know, there's, there's tons of brands out there that you can, or sorry, companies out there that you can buy a t-shirt off of, go and print or screen print a brand name on it and you've entered the fashion industry. Exactly. Yeah. So like on one side, there are high startup costs if you're doing something new and you're innovating. On the other side, there are almost no startup costs. Like Everpress, for example, you don't have to spend any money. They don't make anything until 25 people have bought your design on a t-shirt. Mm. So you're, you, you've then entered that market um, and you can build up slowly from there. So we're very aware of it, but we didn't see huge amounts of competition in what we were doing mm. and saw that as an opportunity to innovate in that space. But really what it comes down to from my perspective is is brand. So like I said, you can't patent an item of clothing. So that basically makes your competition infinite mm. or the, the possibilities of competition infinite, but you can trademark a brand. So the focus then becomes on building that brand mm. and effectively building meaning behind the clothing that people are wearing. So we want people to put on our suits and for it to stand for more than something, more than just an item of clothing. So, you know, we're doing that through community. I think mm. it's a big one. That's our route to market, really. Um, we label it a, a um, counterculture community of individuals that are, no, that's not what we call it a like-minded group of individuals who both want to look good and dress more responsibly. Mm. But like every, not just clothing brand, but a lot of brands want to build that community aspect. So I guess, how do you build a community within the within an industry that's got so much noise? It's not easy, is it really? But that's, this, you know, there's, there's so much noise in the world in general. Yeah. So like there's so much noise across brands. So you, you almost can't even really look at it as just noise in the fashion space. Every brand is in that space of trying to build a community. They're trying to fight for the consumer's attention. Trying to fight for attention. Yeah. So 
we went after it from a big angle of rather than trying to fight all those other brands, where can we share the same communities? So what other brands do we feel like-minded to us that live in the same space, they have the same ambitions, the same target market, and share that attention across multiple brands, share the, this sort of, everyone's worked really hard to build their own community, how can we then share those between each other? And I think that's helped us grow probably so more like quickly. partnerships as well? Partnerships. Um, you know, I think brand that I've always looked up to that um, does this really, really well is Pure Sport. So they're a wellness company. I don't know if you've heard of them. But they make sort of CBD stuff. Mm. They're one of the first big um, brands to start. Sorry, one of the first brands to start a massive run club, and that's been the heart of their community. But they've built this incredible space that's now going across multiple countries. And um, so I looked to them and thought, how can we align with them? Let's stop their products in our shop yeah. and let's do a run club from our shop. That's what I like also about independent brands is that they can try out things that maybe don't, they're not just clothing. So like you have a speakeasy bar in your, in your store. Yeah. That's, that's got nothing to really to do with clothing, but it's got a lot to do with community and connection. So it's like, I, and, and what the example that you just gave, a running club, it's not exactly aligned to CBD. No. However, it's aligned to say fitness and again, community and, and connection. So, but you don't get big brands that do that. Well, yeah, I mean, there are some, like, I think the, like, Nike have built an amazing community yeah. around what they're doing. Um, but you don't have as much flexibility to try mm. new things. You don't have the freedom to, to experiment, to test this, see if that works, to, you know, start a, start a run club out of nowhere or start something that doesn't, wouldn't necessarily, mm. like, to your point, align to, to what you're doing, build a, speakeasy bar in the bottom of a yeah. suit shop just doesn't really make sense you wouldn't you wouldn't do you it you wouldn't associate the two you wouldn't associate the two but we've got the freedom to to try it mm. there will there is thought that goes behind it because of it's a space of as you say harnessing that community making more of a lifestyle around our our brand and i think that's mm. that's really important lifestyle is so a good word so i guess like when it is building the brand rather than just like trying to sell the clothes themselves and this goes for a lot of brands that are trying to grow within the crowded market b2c i guess specifically as well like so you have you have your own sort of service uh, or like product that you're selling but i guess like how do you find all the adjacent things like the speakeasy bar and like all these different initiatives that you can grow the the community aspect of things i think you've got to look at it as from from this perspective of who is your perfect consumer and there's probably a few of those. So I think it's I think it'd be pretty rare that you have like one individual from a qualitative angle as well. I think right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you know it's both sides, subjectively and objectively. Who is that person, and mm -hmm. or who do you want that person to be? And then what would their lifestyle look like? What other things would they be interested in outside of that? Um, whether it be shoes that go with the suit, whether it be certain places to eat and drink whether it be where they go on holiday, mm -hmm. what other brands they, sh they might be spending their money with or their attention on, or you know, what, what music do they like, for example. And that gives, starts to build you this sort of picture of what that lifestyle around your brand is mm -hmm. or what you want that to be. Um, and in turn, that then attracts in more customers and you know, it's, it, it, it's more than, than just, just the brand. You add a bit yeah. more substance behind so it. So again, it's like, that individual that you're painting out and you'll you'll you probably paint the paint them out with a lot of detail like who is this individual 
you'd also say like what sort of lifestyle the the keyword that you used what sort of lifestyle do they live and how can we as a brand like complement that correct yeah yeah big time so i've i've always had this ambition to do a like to create a loyalty scheme that that spreads across multiple brands so that by buying a batch suit and becoming part of the batch members club as we call it um you then get access to you know 25% off a coffee at an independent coffee shop mm. near us or again let's say it's a shoe brand you've got access to their shoes or you get invited to a certain event or yeah. so i think that there's there's definitely space within that to 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 have increase that collaboration across brands and, and build that lifestyle for yeah. for that individual that you're looking and because you're looking at target. that ideal customer a lot more holistically Correct. Which is, I, I, yeah, I think that's the really key way of growing it within the competitive space where there is a lot of noise because you're, yeah, I think like building on that lifestyle is very, very important. Yeah, and and you you kind of get other brands to do it for you simultaneously, so you're not you're not trying to do it alone. So if we can we can show there's a link between us and Pure Sport, let's say to use yeah. that example again, people that already shop at Pure Sport that bought into their brand mm. now have a window to your brand, but it's validated by Pure Sport because you're yeah. doing a collaboration already. That's true. That's a good point. Um, Sam, I guess uh, we're going to wrap up the podcast in a bit, but I guess like what is the next stage for Batch London? Like what are you aiming to do? Uh, I mean, our long-term vision is to be the go-to made-to-order brand in the world, which is quite a lofty one. Mm -hmm. So prior to that, we want to um, become the go-to made-to-order brand in the UK. And everything we release will be in that smart casual, smart comfortable um, realm. So for us, moving into the autumn-winter collection, um, we've changed our model slightly, so rather than dropping in three moments throughout the year, so previously we'd market a batch, it would then go live, you've had, you would have two to three weeks to purchase a suit, and then it would arrive eight weeks later. Um, and we realised that didn't, that didn't work as well because we're trying to slow fashion down and that's the sort of big narrative behind what we do. Mm. But then telling the consumer that they need to buy really quickly and you need to buy now, otherwise yeah. you're going to miss out. So how awesome how the new autumn winter collection will work is it's available for, for five months up until the end of March. Um, and at any point you buy within that five months, your suit will arrive four to eight weeks later. So at the end of each month, we place those orders with our manufacturer and mm. make as many as we need, but just on a shorter micro batch level. Um, so that's the next big stage for us. We're in a new shop in Spitalfields again. So we've just moved a few doors down uh, and then looking to launch some exciting new products for the spring summer next year. That's amazing, man. I've, I've seen your journey from the very beginning, so yeah. I feel very excited to see the next stage. And uh, yeah, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast, bro. Yeah, thank so, you very uh, much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Chat to you very soon. Cheers.